Oh, I tell you, I think we needed that after that scripture. What do you think? Yeah. Oh, I was just sitting there with a lump in my throat. And that Sister Kim just came and brought healing into this space. You could feel it. Thank you, choir. Thank you, choir. Thank you, thank you. Mm. Let's just pray. Let's just pray. Gracious and amazing God, indeed, we want to receive that blessing today. We want to hear it in our mind, and we want to integrate it into our very soul, that there is life in us. There is life for us. We are not the head. We are, the, we are not the tail. We are the head. And surely, we will not die. Give us that fight, though, God. Help us listen today on what kind of fight is the holy war. Which one is ours to pick? God, give us the strength to mine our own truths, our own stories, for the many ways you can transform them in us and through us, so that indeed those very places, music can come and bring healing into our lives and healing for the world. May it be so in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Oh, that was a great word of blessing. And we need it because we are in the middle of drama. We, we are in the middle of David drama. The David, like the sands of the hourglass, so are the Davids of our lives. And we have had sex, Jonathan and David sitting in a tree. We have had lies, oh, King Saul, liar, liar, pants on fire. And this week, boy, there is more of it, more sex, more lies. We get introduced to that little thing called videotape. Well, the ancient version, you know, the voice of God <laughs> coming and peeking in our business, laying it out in front of David, all of his little secrets, this thing that displeased the Lord. And so like any good narrator, beginning of an episode, as previously, <laughs> in case you haven't had a chance to rewind your DVR and watch these episodes, let me just kind of, you know, that little parable about the sheep and the shepherd, I, I'm just going to make it a little bit more plain than that. So there is, uh, last week we were told there's this King Saul who's got it in it for David. He's trying to kill him. He's chasing after him. And, um, this is, and this is somebody that's in his army. It's in his troops. It's somebody who has, for him, faced the giant in the battlefield and protected his kingdom. It is also someone whose music, his harp, his psalms, his poetry, brings healing to Saul and brings him into the very presence of God for worship. But for some reason, we see Saul on a compulsive, ego-driven, jealous attack to kill David. So much so that our scripture ended last week with a spear going across, sticking in the wall. Will you see it? <laughs> Actually, it's still flying. I don't know how they did that. <laughs> and all can see that spear, and David gets away. And the story continues. The story continues. Saul does this for years, chases David for years. They say it's around 15 or so that he does this instead of attending to his kingly duties. And what about David? David is on the run. He's a fugitive, being chased, betrayed, lied to, but he just stays on the run. And when you turn the pages of David's 
story. It's beautiful. We find many, many moments where he has um, been faithful to God and God to him. And he has um, come through so many different experiences. And so that's, that's the story that we have here. He, by the time he reaches the throne, he has the respect and the love and adoration of so many of God's people. He doesn't immediately take the throne, by the way, when Saul is, um, dies. One of his sons does, but um, David had become the king of Judah. But then when Saul's son dies, he was invited to be the king of all of Israel. It's a beautiful story. Rags to riches story, and right here's where it gets a little interesting, becomes a little overly familiar. This is where what goes around comes around. That famous little saying that the stuff like drama breeds drama, lies breed lies. Before you know it, if you're not careful, you get all tangled up in it and you lose your sense of integrity and your moral compass. So my friends, in case you weren't able to understand the little videotape, let me, let me play it for you. So spring rolls around and David sends his troops on to go fight. And he stays behind in his palace. And he's kind of aimlessly kind of walking around, and he's up on the roof when he notices one day a beautiful woman bathing down in the bathhouse. And he sends someone to inquire about her. And even though he learns that the woman's name is Bathsheba, who's actually the wife of one of Uriah, one of the 30 men, the top 30 men in his cabinet, he still proceeds to have her come to his palace so he can have her for his own pleasure. And he sends her home and it looks as if he doesn't really remember or care about that event until such time that Bathsheba has to send a little note to David. Oops, you forgot to wear protection last night. This is talking about sexual salvation. <laughs> Might learn a little bit about that on Wednesday nights, maybe, Diaz. <laughs> There's been an accident, and I'm pregnant. Well, this is where David just kind of starts down the slippery slope, and he starts creating plot after plot and deceit and lie after lie to cover up his tracks. And so he decides, well, I'll invite Uriah into town from the battlefront, in uh, kind of the pretense of getting military intelligence, and I'll have a little conversation with him, in which he does. He gets him there, and he interviews him, and he, and he figures out what's going on in the war, and he says, you know what, um, Uriah, I want you to go home and relax. You've had a tough day out in the battlefield. And just to ensure that he has a, a good time that night, and his plot is, you know, I don't know how to say that, but y'all know what I'm talking about. So he sends oh. He sends home uh, to their house as a romantic gift for them. One little problem in David's plot and scheme, Uriah doesn't go home. Uriah decides that he just can't do that. His moral compass says, you know what, I cannot go home and enjoy myself and relax while the men under my command are out in the field under the stars and tents. So you know what he does? He stays in David's palace and he sleeps in the servants' quarters. Ouch. So David is, once again, has a moment of panic, and he decides, I'll keep him one more day. 
So he brings Uriah back up and he interviews him again and pretends to get more information. And this time, he says, stay for a little while. And he has a little party. And he slides him one drink. And he slides Uriah another drink. And he slides him another drink, hoping that if he gets drunk enough, maybe, just maybe, he'll go home. And he may not do anything, but he'll think he did. And he'll think he was good at it. <laughs> he'll think he was really good. <laughs> Teach me about that sexual salvation, Michael. <laughs> uh, but Uriah just couldn't be persuaded. Even in a drunken state, he would not go home. He stayed in David's palace, and he slept in a servant's quarters. What could he do? Bathsheba was starting to show a little. If he wasn't careful, he knew everybody would know his secrets. So he decided to prevent the scandal that might ruin him and his reputation. And he decided to eliminate Uriah and marry Bathsheba. He wrote a message to his general, Joab, telling him to place Uriah in a dangerous battle position and arrange for him to be killed by the enemy. He sealed this letter and he put it into the hands of Uriah because he could be trusted to carry that note back to General Joab. Sometime later, David received a battle report from General Joab telling him of a disaster Joab had mounted an attack using an obviously very poor war strategy and a number of men were killed. And Joab sent a messenger off to tell David about this and he gave him a little off the record uh, comment about this war and whispered into the messenger's ear to be sure and tell him Uriah died in the battle. Of which this messenger did and when David heard this he was greatly relieved and even though he realized much death had happened and there was a great cost of battle he sent a message of congratulations to Joab. When Uriah's funeral was over and a proper time elapsed, David married Bathsheba, believing that he had finally silenced the rumors that could have tarnished his crown of jewels. My, 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 my. How the tables have turned. Last week we see David on the run from King Saul, and this week we see King Saul moving from the abused to the abuser, moving from integrity to compulsion, from sanity to obsession, from a shepherd who cared for all of those in his fold to one who devours the sheep. And not just one. His irrational behavior cost the lives of many. This is such a heavy story. And you know, when that videotape was playing and I kept reading through this story, I, I could find myself. I could find myself saying, if there was just a way to freeze the frame and get his attention, to scream through the page, David, stop right, right here. Isn't it interesting when we're watching other people's lives? We know exactly where they should stop. Maybe go a little this way or do a little of this. And everything would have been different. And we, we catch ourselves 
listen to this video tape. We want to do that. David, stop right here. Like in the spring, when he decided to stay back, what was going on there? You could sense his restlessness. The story tells us he, was, he wasn't sleeping well. He was pacing that roof. That's how he even noticed Bathsheba. And I, and I just wish I could stop it there and figure out what voices were playing in his head. What was too much to bear that he had to numb it with that little affair? And when that little thing became a big thing, oh, don't you want to just reach through there and tell him? Right here. Right here. Your life, David, is spinning out of control. Just right here. Just freeze it. Freeze that frame right there. Does Uriah, you clearly love him. You clearly trust him. Trust him with the truth. Oh, we want to help. We want to help David. But what if, what if we had that ability to do that for each other? What would we say? What would that intervention look like? I can give you a peek. I've had good people, some good Nathans in my life. Maybe I would have read for David some of his beautiful songs. How about Psalms 23? David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. God makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside still waters. God restores my soul. David, you have everything you need. Rest your weary mind. Or how about Psalms 139? That's my favorite brought much healing into my life. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you have discerned my thoughts from afar, oh, God. It's too wonderful for me. It's so high I cannot obtain it. You are acquainted with all my ways. David, those are your words. That's your song. God has seen it all, knows it all, and loves you so deeply. And that image you're trying to protect, it's just an illusion anyway. Or maybe I would have sat there and asked him to tell me his story. And as those pages turned, I, I might have would have asked him to pause a minute here or there and say, what about that one? What about that one right there? When you had that much faith in you and you were able to face giants, what appeared to you as giants because you knew that nothing's impossible with God. Breathe that one in you, David. I guess I just would have reminded him that he was beloved of God. I would have reminded him that God's love for him is enough and God's vision of him is enough and God's view of him was enough because it seems like somehow, some way, 
some other voice, somebody, others, somebody else's tape started playing in his head. Other voices that was telling him a different truth. Telling him that either something that somebody had done to him or something he had done to somebody was a different truth. And that was the tape that voice. I would have just found that spark of light and fanned it until it became a flame again. That's what we do in community. Our contemporary reading today comes from Mark Nepo. Several wonderful writings that he has done, and we've brought many of them up here, and um, I think we've commissioned him as one of our staff members. <laughs> he has wonderful writings that read much like the Psalms, stories that reveal the wrestling of divinity and humanity, our inner spark of light and the shadows within us that play off that light. The reading from today comes from his book, Finding Inner Courage. It's a, it's a real jewel. And the beginning of this book, he introduces the reader to this concept of courage. And he says it comes from the Latin word core, which means heart. And it literally means to stand by one's core. And he starts telling us that we should learn to face our own experiences and our own demons, this undiscovered country within ourselves. And he, he says that this comes from a Jewish tradition known as um, facing our own demons or wrestling with the divine or jihad. Holy war. Mark calls it facing the lion. And in the beginning of this book, he gives us a bit of insight of this great paradox we see playing out in David's stories. The one that what goes around comes around, the part especially about how David, who was done by Saul, you know, the marginalization, the victimization, the, the abuse of power, the lack of compassion, the betrayal, that these become the very things that David does to Uriah. He says this is the law of the journey, that what is not integrated is repeated, that what we won't face or express or feel will move into our hands as compulsion that speaks through our actions. And life will give us time and again the choice to integrate or disintegrate to surface and join what life brings up for us or hide from it. It simply means to be awake instead of numbing ourselves out with mindless distractions. It means being awake long enough to see the patterns in our lives. Facing and feeling and accepting our own suffering is the only way to keep ourselves from reenacting it on others. And so what do these choices look like for us? What are these moments that we could freeze frame and might be able to do something slightly different. What do they look for? What do they look like? How will we notice when they happen? Well, lean in a minute and listen close. It is the simple daily opportunities that life presents to you and to I when we can choose to either give up the illusion and accept our humanity. Give up the illusions of people around us and accept their humanity. Mark Nepo calls it the choices between enabling trust or distrust, being direct or indirect. It's called passive-aggressive if you don't have that problem. <laughs> I can teach you a thing or two. <laughs> to empower judgment 
or to have the courage to stand in one's truth without judging others. In minute ways, each time we let distrust, indirectness, and judgment spread and deepen within us, it waters that seeds of evil that can make a Hitler or a Saddam, a Saul or a David, an Adam or Steve, I mean Eve, or a Janice. Truth of the story, truth of the story is, I am the man, you are the man, I am the woman, I am the human, you are the woman, you are the human. And the real scandal here is that God sees it and uses it to nurture us, to grow us, and to bless the world. But you know what? As the gospel ensemble just breathes into the space, we have to have that courage. We have to have the fight in us. We have to have the ability to fight for our lives. But we need to be really, really clear what fight is ours. And it's the one where we fight with ourselves. We need to take our mind off of the many ways that we can fix other people's lives. <laughs> Amen. When that sword goes running by you and you can begin to describe it in great detail, it was this color, it felt this way going by my ear, and you start picking that person's life, and I threw it because of this, I think, or maybe because of this, but I know it's that judgment. And you can do it. You can sit there and you can describe it and you can describe it and you can describe it until you lose sight of the fact that you're holding the sword. And as Reverend Pat told me this morning, and there's blood on it, it ain't yours. Or we can do the thing that David modeled for us, and he can just say, I've sinned. I've sinned. That scripture right before that, where God says the sword will stay in your house, he's saying until you learn to just accept it, name it, confess it, and give it back to me so that I can use it. It will have power over you and your family. That's our story today. That's our truth today. My friends, I would not want to not give credit where credit is due. Mark really gave me so much insight for this word today. And so I want to read a little passage from his book. It's a great illustration of the real moral of this story. Yet when we can find and stand by our core, when we can face our oscillations and illusions directly, we have the chance to enliven a different kind of relationship with the pain of life. To understand this, we need to consider the nature of a flute. It is a simple fact that a flute cannot make any music if it has no holes for the breath of life to pass through. Each being on earth is such a flute. 
and each of us releases our unique song of spirit through the holes carved by our experience through the years. Like it or not, this is one of the purposes of suffering. And since no two flutes have the same holes carved in them, no two flutes make the same music. Likewise, no two beings sing the same song, since the holes in each life produce their own unrepeatable melody. All this to say that there is a great ongoing choice that awaits us every day, whether we go around carving holes in others because we have been so painfully carved ourselves, or whether we let spirit play its song through our tender experience enabling us to listen as well to the miraculous music that's coming through others. When we experience, when our experience opens us and spirit can move through, we can be astonished into humility. Once opened in this way, there's a great strength and joy in listening together for the song of spirit that arises so uniquely from our brush with life on earth. It's in submitting to this journey that courage can turn wounds into openings. It's embracing this journey that love can turn brokenness into song. It's a powerful word, and I want to make sure that you really hear today. Do not leave with anything other than the image that all of David's life, from this moment on, all before it, all what happened and what happened after that, was used and is usable, it's redeemable, it's powerful, and ultimately it saves to the arrival of Jesus the Christ. Breathe that into you. Do you know the difference between guilt and shame? Guilt is coming to terms and recognizing you've done something. Shame is internalizing it as something you are. No. You. You are the beloved of God. You have light in you. That's just a shadow that every once in a while ricochets off the inside of your heart. Wrestle with it until it blesses you. Maybe so. Amen.